God is good. And all the time. Morning, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to start out with the Star Spangled Banner today. I want you to realize as we go through these songs that they all have to do with a banner, uh, whether it's Old Glory or Christ our Lord, a banner waving high as a beacon for all to uh, for all to see and all to come. So the national ensign, Old Glory, is flown over buildings, over schools, flown on U.S. Navy ships and on all military bases. It is a symbol of our country that strikes fear into our enemies and encouragement and hope into our countrymen. Our flag's red, white, and blue countenance emblazed against a pale blue sky or the pale antique white paint draws the eye and enables a quick prayer that all may be well and all may be right in our country today. God bless America. Won't you please rise as we salute the flag and sing the national anthem. If our flag is lifted high, our Lord and our God soars higher. Our banner, our light, our signal, and our goal. When he leads his armies during the final bat battle, no flag, no other banner, no symbol will fly above his head, for he flies above all. He is our strength and our might. Amen. 
God. He came down from heaven to show us the way and to break open the barriers keeping us from the Father's side. My Redeemer lives and loves us and is the example of how we should live our lives. Great. 
Redeemer lives, my 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 Redeemer lives. all I can do. Okay. Um, would you please have a seat, folks? So, and read with me uh, the responsive reading, if you would. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. He is a merciful God. From the King James Study Bible, while this promise was originally given to Solomon regarding the people of Israel, it certainly applies to all who will call on the Lord in repentance and faith. These verses stand as a high expression of God's loving readiness to hear the prayers of a repentant people. Amen. All right. I am a retired Navy Chief Petty Officer. I was stationed on several ships and several naval bases. My last ship was an Arleigh Burke guided missile destroyer uh, named the USS Benfold. The ship's namesake, Edward Clyde Benfold, was a hospital corpsman third class who lived in Audubon, New Jersey, and graduated from Audubon High School in 1949. Petty Officer Benfold was killed in action on September 5, 1952, while saving the lives of two wounded Marines he was aiding in a crater from two enemy ha hand grenades at Outpost Bruce which was held by the Marines of I Company, 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, in North Korea during the Battle of Bunker Hill near Panmunjom. His master chief came to visit the chiefs on the Benfold while I was there and, was, and uh, gave to us an eyewitness account of his he heroism and his death. Petty Officer Benfold was tending to two wounded Marines when two hand grenades were thrown into his foxhole. Two enemy soldiers rush, rushed the foxhole right behind their grenades. The Master Chief said that when Benfold saw the grenades, he was up on a, up on a rise overlooking the, the battle. When Benfold saw the grenades <coughs> and the enemy, <coughs> he got angry, grabbed the grenades, rushed out of the foxhole, and gave the enemy soldiers a hug, and that ended their lives, ended his, and saved the two Marines. Now, that mas now the Master Chief said Petty Officer Benfold was an average sailor. He was a wise guy and always had a smart aleck comment. He also said that when it was time to work to aid his Marines, Benfold was all business. When it came to time to save the lives of his two Marines, he didn't hesitate. He got angry, he charged the enemy without guard, regard for his life, and he made the ultimate sacrifice. This Memorial Day weekend, we remember Edward Benfold and all others who gave their lives in service to our country. We salute those who have proven that uncommon valor is a common virtue, to borrow the words from Chester Nimitz. The true metal of a man or woman is rarely tested in life if we are lucky. Dire, con dire circumstances bring out the worst and the best in all people, 
and great deeds and opportunities are wasted or realized. The best of us, given clarity from God, take correct and virtuous action when immediate action is warranted. God, please grant that if the time ever comes for us to act for others and for our country, we take the action that will honor you, our country, our fellow man. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. please rise again if you would please and sing with us America the Beautiful Oh, oh beautiful for spacious skies for amber waves of grain for purple mountain who are helping with the uh, offering, please come forward. <clears throat> Our Lord and Savior, we thank you all. We thank you for all that you have done for us, for all that you have given us. We pray that our offerings will go to those, go to help those who are less fortunate than we are and help to keep the shining beacon of your misery, uh, ministry alive. Please bless our giving and bless us as we give and help us to be worthy of everything you have given us. In Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen.
It's, yeah, okay. That'll work. It's okay. <laughs> it's me. I just didn't get up. Uh, didn't get up here uh, fast enough. So, so uh, as you all know, our, our our good friend and brother Angel is here uh, today to to minister to us while uh, pastors on on vacation. Yep. Angel's been with us a number of times. Uh, Angel uh, is very much a student of the Word. Uh, how, you've got you've gone to how many classes? Oh. More than uh, I can actually remember. <laughs> uh, so, so we enjoy Angel every time uh, he comes to visit us. We we appreciate you coming again, you. Uh, being here. So, uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Angel. Thank you again very much Thank for coming. You. Thank you, brother. Thank you. That's so kind. Thank you. Well, good morning. God bless everyone. Um, well, thank you for your service, brother Chip and. Any other veterans? I myself, I'm a veteran as well. I served in the U.S. Army. Uh, my last station was in uh, Fort Hood, Texas, which is now Fort Cavazos. They just renamed the post. Um, and so it just, uh, you know, speaking about this day in particular, I remember a conversation um, that myself and Brother Sai had one time and it was during this particular weekend. And we were talking about uh, what the flag meant to us as veterans that served and who were taught the deep, rich history uh, regarding the sacrifices made. Um, and so we said to each other, that flag means so much more to us, you know, uh, that for those of us that have served that understand those sacrifices, and that's why we just love that flag. That flag does something to us when we just sit and ponder and we think about all those lives that, you know, they just, they lived the gospel. They laid down their lives for their neighbors. And so it's an honor to uh, be able to say that I'm a veteran and to say that I served with some incredible human beings under incredible leadership from all parts of this country all the stories and to know that everybody just came together for one common cause, which was to serve. And we just felt that calling. Although some will say, hey, they did it for certain reasons, uh, there was a call there. They felt the call. And we thank all those men and women uh, who did serve. Amen. So um, this morning, uh, I bring this word to you, and it's found in uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15 from verses 17 to verse 20. And if you would just follow me uh, to those scriptures. Amen. Okay. And the scripture says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. And I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the reading of your word, but thank you for the provision of your word. Because, Father, your words are spirit and life. It is, Father, the ultimate truth. And we thank you so much, Father, for providing this truth that sets the captive free. Father, that fulfills, O oh Lord God, your plan and purpose in us, that gives us direction, and that gives us spiritual might and power in times of need. Father, I thank you. I lift up the name of Jesus, and I thank you for sending your beloved Son, and I thank you, O oh Lord, for sending your precious Holy Spirit, who helps us to live out this gospel. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
So in this morning, the title of the message is called, Who Are We Running To? It's interesting when uh, we think about it as far as our human lives and our reactions to certain things during times of pressure in that we seek comfort and we seek comfort in so many various and diverse ways. I remember as a kid um, during the hot summers and growing up in the town of uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, I'm born and raised there, uh, when Lakewood, New Jersey was still uh, considered a tourist resort and had all the hotels and everything. And so growing up there was almost like growing up, uh, you know, in some type of TV show because of just how wholesome and how the summers were. Yes, swimming in the lakes. <laughs> and uh, I remember just, you know, the summers were past of just getting up early. You get your bike, all your friends met. And so we would just be gone for the day. And of course, we'd come home for lunch. And then we were told, make sure you're back before the street lights come back on. So, you know, uh, I remember that there were times in which we were so thirsty that we had our own little spots marked off where we could just you know, basically quench our thirst. And so one of those spots was the actual water hose spigot at the Board of Education building. And, uh, you know, good old wholesome, you know, growing up was basically drinking from the water hose, right? And that was our Snapple iced tea for that time, <laughs> you know? And so the other thing, I remember going to a particular luncheonette that was right down on 4th Street across from the Strand Theater. There was a luncheonette on the left-hand side. Now there's a, uh, a Jewish pizzeria there. And uh, I remember for 29 cents, 29 cents, he would actually fill a Dixie cup and make you a soda, okay, a real soda, right? So it's funny how, as kids, you know, we would scrounge around and everybody would make sure that they had their 29 cents or more, you know. And so we would just pass the time and just, once we were powered up by sugar, we just knew we were okay for the rest of the day. So it's amazing how different types of things within the human impulse take us to actually set things up for ourselves, right? So that therefore we can find comfort in certain things. Today, in today's technology uh, and what the internet offers, you know, now the biggest addiction is scrolling on the phone, right? And they show everything from how to fix a car to basically how to cook food and, you know, how to go to certain places and meditation and all these things are just presented on the phone, you know? And so lately, I've been on a type of sabbatical from the internet, you know? and just trying to detox for the simple fact of just reorienting myself to commit myself more in my personal seeking of God's presence and face. One of the things that the scripture teaches us in the psalm, uh, the psalmist said, uh, because you said, seek your face, your face, O Lord, will I seek. The word face there in the Hebrew is the actual word panim, okay? And so the word panim there is also associated with well-being. It's an actual twofold uh, meaning. So actually face and well-being goes together. So when the psalmist was saying, because you said, seek thy face, thy face, O Lord, will I seek. Okay, the Hebrews or the, the Jewish writers understood that what the psalmist was saying, because you said to seek well-being, thy well-being will I seek. It's interesting because the world uh, in its systematic uh, offers to human beings, it, it just presents so many things to make us feel that, hey, this is for your well-being. We offer you so many things. But the world system is just to basically make us addicts out of us all, you know, and to basically redirect us away from the face of God. Today's account in Luke, it talks about the prodigal son. Uh, I'm sure many of us have read it over and over. But as the scholars teach that it is what is called an inexhaustible account of what Jesus said of something that took place. You know, there are still parties out there trying to basically decipher, is it 
a parable? Did it really happen? I look at it this way. Uh, if we just cut past those layers and look at what Jesus himself is saying, uh, the truth as to uh, who our Father is and what he does when we turn our hungers in his direction of what is waiting for us, you know? It's interesting how, you know, in this account, the account starts off with this young man who was at the age to basically almost inherit his father's fortune. But due to a hungering for the things of this life and this world, he asked for the inheritance before his time, which was a great insult to his father. And in Middle Eastern culture, it is basically to say, Father, I can't wait for you to die, okay, to then receive my inheritance. So let's just play this out like you're dead already and give me what belongs to me so I can just go and live my life and satisfy these hungers of my flesh. It's interesting because when you think about it in Genesis, when sin overtook humanity and conquered humanity in the garden, one of the first things that sin did was to actually redirect man into a direction in which man would hunger for something else and then move away from the presence of God. God came to man and man says, well, you know, because I heard you walking in the garden, I became fearful, and so I hid myself from you. And so we see the effects of sin, and we see the real struggle with the sinful nature, in that the sinful nature wants to redirect us away from the presence of God. It wants to pull us away from the one who is almighty, away from the one who is love. You know, some people have said to me, well, you know, pastor, you know, God loves me and God has love for me. I says, no, you have to think about it a lot deeper than that. It is not that God has love. The scripture says that God is love. He is the full embodiment. He is the full essence of love. He is love personified. He is love in action. He is love when he corrects us. He is love when he rebukes us. He is love when he chastises us. He is love even when he pours judgments upon his people or judges his house. As the scripture says, you know, that judgment must first begin with the house of God. Some have asked us and said, well, you know, God is so mean to the world. I says, well, you have to look at it like this. God is the perfect father in that before he judges those that are not of his house, he first inspects his own house in order to see how his own children are living out his own commands. God is not a hypocrite. God is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. It is like this. Protestant theology teaches that God is not holy. God is holy, holy, holy. The scripture says that when the angels, the seraphims, were flying around the throne of God, they did not say that God was holy. They said that God is holy, holy, holy. It is to say that what we think is holiness, God is even more than that. He is of the utmost of what holiness is. The holiness of God has struck such a terror into the hearts of men that some men, they even shivered to actually think about coming into the presence of God. When Moses had his encounter with the holiness of God, God told him, take off your shoes because the ground that you walk on is holy. It is to say that God, when he comes into a place and God manifests his holy, holy, holy presence, God then creates an atmospheric change to that place. The prophet Isaiah, when he saw him, the first thing that came to his mind was his own sinful nature. Woe be unto me, for I am a man, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. The word woe in the Hebrew there is to call a curse upon oneself. He was saying, I am cursed because here I am in the presence of he who is the only supreme transcendent being in the universe. The holy, holy, holy God of Israel. The only God. The God that is high and lifted up. And I am in his presence. And in comparison to my nature and his nature, his nature has revealed how inadequate I am. How inefficient that I am. How unholy that I am. 
And what happens is, is that many times with us, when we feel that life has gotten a grip of us and that we just feel like we are just becoming weary with everything that is going on with us, we try to find our corners or find things to satisfy the hunger of our questions as to God, what is going on? Why is there so much of this chaos taking place? Lord, what do I do? Lord, I need to be comforted. But one of the things that we have to remember in the doctrine of the teachings of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus sent the comforter, the parakletos himself to comfort us in these times. It is to save us from the hungers that are anti-God to then provide and to give us the hungers that are pro-God. It is to motivate us and to look at those things of this life and this world and to basically come to the truth and the conclusion that those things cannot fill me. Those things cannot bring me to a place of satisfaction. How many of us in our times after prayer or worshiping God in our private time with God have felt more satisfied in just five or ten minutes in the presence of God than actually something that takes us into these labors, these exhaustive labors, that when we sit down and we either consume it or we watch it with our eyes or we listen to it with our ears or whatever it is that we do in trying to bring some type of comfort, we still feel a sense of emptiness. Jesus, in one occasion when the Pharisees were saying, well, you know, our fathers, they ate. Of the bread of heaven and Jesus said that was not the bread of heaven I am the true bread of heaven I am the one that satisfies when you when you take me in when you receive me I will then bring that satisfaction to your spirit and soul that nothing external of yourself can give you when we think about our Savior and we think about the fact that when we run to him and we, we throw ourselves at his feet. He is there to comfort us. And it's interesting because um, there are terminologies, of course, that associate God in the sense of he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is called the lamb of God. In the book of Ezekiel, there are four faces that the prophet sees. The face of a man, the face of an ox, right? The face of a lion. And so we understand that those are all associations to the actual person of God. The face of an ox speaks about the book of Mark or Mark's gospel and that it talks about Jesus in his servanthood. The face of an eagle that speaks of the book of John in Christ and his deity. He is the Lamb of God. He is the perfect man, the perfect Adam that did not sin but obeyed God to the very end. In the scriptures that we read, this young man, it says that when he came to his senses, <laughs> sounds like my wife telling me, you finally come to your senses. I've been telling you that for the longest time. I don't know, honey, it's just something in my manly nature that believes that you're wrong. And that started, that started two weeks into the marriage. I'm still in denial. My wife is still praying for me. Lord, he needs a revelation. And so when she's right, what do I do? I don't tell her. All right. And then she says to me when she sees me, you know, trying to in a sneaky way, trying to fix what she was trying to tell me and didn't get me to do the whole time. Aha, I've caught you. You were wrong. And she'll say, you have finally come to your senses. I said, well, God is still at work with me. So be patient. OK. And it's interesting because in this account. The prodigal son, it says, and when he came to his senses. It's interesting how the father allows the boy to leave. And when he leaves, the boy is just now out into this adventure. And now he finds himself hungering. And the hungering takes him into this plummeting effect where he plummets so deeply that all of a sudden it brings him to his senses. There are many times in which in discussions with other ministers and 
you know, in trying to help members of the congregation because they see them, you know, basically running into constant walls in their spiritual walk. And I told them in many occasions, I say, sometimes you, you know, you have to allow the wall to do the talking. What do you mean? That says you have to let them ram that head until finally they come to their senses. Because some have thought that faith is the application of tearing walls down with our heads until we get our way. And that is not the application of faith. Our Heavenly Father in his perfection, he allows us to ram our head into that wall until we come to our senses. I remember when my son who passed away, uh, and I've spoken to you guys many times in my visitations here, um, when he was around the age of I'd say between two and three, he was sitting on the kitchen floor, and he was just angry because he wanted something. What does he start to do? Bang his head on the kitchen floor. And I was about to stop him, and my mother says, no, no, let him be. I said, what do you mean? She says, that's, that's a willful act of manipulation. I said, manipulation? She goes, oh, yeah, that's the psychology of that child. He figures if he brings enough hurt on himself because of his anger, it's going to get you to move. And many times, many believers, they treat God like that. They continue to hit these walls and hit these walls until finally we realize that when you are basically in a boxing match with God, you are going to lose. You know, of course, we know the slogan, right, from Burger King, have it your way, right? What a scary thing if God turns to us and says, have it your way. Oof terrifying terrifying to think that our heavenly father will allow us to basically come to a place where he has been trying to basically redirect our steps to bring us into his grace and his perspective on how to deal with human life human relationships right the spiritual struggle and spiritual battles so that therefore we can actually walk it out like christ but what happens sometimes we think we know and so we think we can tell our Heavenly Father, I got it from here, Father. And it says here, and when the boy came to his senses. I love the fact that it says here, look what it says. It says here, hmm, when he finally came to his senses, it's telling you right there that there is a finality of coming to that. That when we come to those senses, that's it. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings us to the finality of those things, of those struggles. And he brings us there in his grace and love so that we can come to his senses to bring us to a place. I remember my father uh, watching me making my mistakes in my teenage years. And my mother would argue with him and say something to him. Say, and he said, no, it's not time yet. Until finally, when the finally came, that's when my father would say, let's sit down and let's talk. And then that's when the intimate conversations would take place because I had to first come to a place in which I could hear. And so it says here, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say father i have sinned against both heaven and you and i am no longer worthy of being called your son please take me on as a hired servant it's interesting because he shifts at one point he has a physical hunger to the point where he's looking at the food that he is feeding to the pigs being tempted to eat those pods of food and he is about to consume that now his physical hunger is taking over until the most important hunger is the one that conquers the physical hunger which is the spiritual hunger many people have destroyed their lives because they have allowed themselves to be taken or overtaken by the physical hungers of this world or the materialistic things of this world and not realize is that they had no spiritual power. We all struggle with the fact that the presence of sin is still with us. 
but through Christ Jesus and in partnership with the Holy Spirit in Christ and the Father, we have power over sin so that those hungers of sin cannot overtake us. If anything, when we start feeling that pull, then we can exercise the power and the authority that Christ has given us to do what? Not to fight the battle on my own, if not to turn into the direction of Christ and bring myself to my knees and saying, Lord, I cannot do this without you. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I speak to many young believers, and one of the things about the young believers is that, uh, of course, they feel empowered, and they figure, let's go conquer the world, and I keep trying to teach them. You have to understand that this operates in a form of a partnership. This is a partnership with your Heavenly Father. This is a partnership with your Lord and Savior. This is the partnership, okay, with the empowering power of the Holy Spirit himself. This is a partnership. No, but what do they want to do? Let's go conquer the world. Let's do this and let's do that. All of a sudden, what happens? Failures start to take place. Frustrations start to come in. Demonic attacks start to present themselves. All kinds of things, the infighting and all these other obstacles start to present themselves. And then they're asking me, Pastor, what is going on? And I teach them, you have to understand that to run this race, it's a marathon, but it's a tandem marathon. You are running side by side with him. I saw something very interesting on YouTube just recently where they were showing um, not in the Paralympics, they were showing some type of track event and they were showing a young man who could run, okay, the track and he could run this particular event. I think it was the 60 yard dash. It was a sprint and he was fully blind, couldn't see the track. He had the physical, okay, ability. He could run it, he could do it. But what they did was they tethered him to another runner who could run just as fast, if not faster than him. And when the gun sounded off, the two of them ran. But when he crossed the finish line, they actually said that the one who was blind won. Because the one he was tethered to was there to give him the guidance. It was to tell him, don't allow your blindness to tell you that you cannot run. And so in partnership with God, when things are trying to basically pull us away and drive us into a different direction of addictions to all kinds of things, because right now all the money is being made in tech, all the money is being made with the purpose of causing us to fall, to become addicts at this present time. Addicts to something, addicts to only God knows what that may be. But the fact of the matter is, is that when God starts to work into the human heart, he starts to redirect the heart so that we may hunger for God. And this is the part where it gets very, very interesting. As I was reading the scripture, one of the things that struck me was this. It says in verse 18 that he said, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. Notice it doesn't say he returned home to food. He didn't return to the house. He didn't return to the clothes. He didn't return to his position. It says the first thing was what? He returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with loving compassion. He, the father, ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. We started this message off talking about huh, our hunger. Who are we running to? But here we see something greater than our own hunger. And it is the hunger of God. Yes, that's right. God hungers himself. The Bible teaches us about thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are those that thirst for righteousness. The Bible teaches us and says that Jesus was even thirsty in one occasion, even hungry. And so his disciples in one occasion said, but master, you know, we'll feed you or we'll take care of you. And he says, well, the meat that I'm talking about, you know, not thereof. 
God hungers. God hungers for what? God hungers to restore people. God hungers to heal people. God hungers to lift up the broken. God hungers to actually restore his lost sons and daughters that come back to him. God hungers to give power and might to those that have none. As it says in the scripture, that those that have no power and might, he increases their strength. He multiplies their strength. Yes, God's hunger and passion towards us is far more greater than our hunger towards him. The scripture says here that while the boy was still a long way off, let me tell you something. We are all a long way off yet of being conformed to the image and to the likeness of Jesus Christ. We are still a long way off of actually walking out this gospel in its full perfection. We are still a long way off of getting it all right, of getting it all perfect, of knowing when to do this and when to do that. We are still a long way off. But the scripture teaches here, but blessed is the person that is at least making the effort to get on the course, to move into the father's direction. That is what the father is waiting for. He is waiting to see his children hungering at least to get on the road many times people say well pastor you know what books do i read what do i do you know how many hours do i pray or what and i said just get on the path the important thing is is that you just get on the path this is a life journey just get on the path this is not about coming to a place in this time of life to say i have figured it out it's interesting because peter at the end of his life even being a disciple to the very end, which is another message I have, okay, about discipleship never ends. That Peter being apostle in position, yet in lifestyle, he is still a disciple of Christ. Because at the very end of his life, he is about to be crucified like Jesus. And he says, no, turn me upside down because I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior. And so Peter teaches us right to the very end, you will be learning something and applying something of what you have learned. We are still a long way off. But yet when we are a long way off and on that right course, it says that the father filled with love and compassion ran to his son it is to teach us god will reach you before you reach him it says that he embraced him and kissed him his disposition towards the son was one of love and compassion to first fill his son with his own love and to then greatly affect the soul of his own son with compassion to really satisfy the hunger that what the boy really needed was to be embraced by his father and kissed affectionately by his father. Because it's amazing how the embrace of God and the kiss of God, and when I speak about the kiss of God, I'm talking about the manifestation of the intimate power of the Holy Spirit touching us so profoundly that it almost feels like a kiss. So profoundly that even just a slight picture of this can be seen, okay, of when um, Isaac was, or Jacob was kissed, I believe, uh, that when he was kissed by his bride, that he says that he shed a tear. The kiss was something that was so special to him that it impacted the soul. It impacted it and got all the way into his heart and into his spirit. And so imagine then that the actual touch of the Holy Spirit, which transcends flesh, bone, blood, veins, heart, organs, it goes past those dimensions. It goes past the dimension of the soul directly into the spirit. And it says here that he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. The work of the Holy Spirit is to give strength to our hearts and faith so that we mature into a faith that moves us to consider him always. The next time we find ourselves hungering, let us compare our hunger versus God's hunger. When something is telling us, I have failed God. I don't know how to go and talk to God about this. Understand that the hunger of God is waiting for you because he's looking at you as a parent in his parental role and longing for his child to come to him 
it is such a beautiful picture as to the love of the father and that the father's heart pangs after his children so deeply that Jesus in one account said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, oh, how I love thee, how I have wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And that right there is where we have to understand to posit ourselves in the biggest battle of all, the battle of our will. It is when we start to mature in Christ to understand my will is worthless, but his will is perfect. His will towards me is always one of love, compassion, restoration, uplift, encouragement, healing, power, authority. His will towards me is one of life and not death. It is of resurrection and exaltation, not one of throwing me into a sepulcher, as many believe, and just cover the dirt over me in a shallow grave. No, that is not our Father's heart. Our Father's heart is to actually embrace us and kiss us because in doing so, it is a type of the resurrection. It, is, it has resurrecting power. The scripture says that the boy threw himself at his father's feet. It was the lowest that he could possibly go. It is to say in poetic terms, Father, I am in the lowest place of life and my soul is even in that place with me. I have lost it all. I have failed you. His self-esteem, everything was on the floor. He compared it to the very dirt and mud that was on the ground. And it says that the father fell on the boy and he lifted him up. God's love and God's power towards us is to save us of the things that at times that we run to that are destructive and not productive. It is not productive. It is not productive to spend time away from our Heavenly Father. It is not productive to keep our hands down. I understand that there are things in life that discourage us to the point where our hands fall like Moses. His hands grew weary and they fell. But the Father has people in our lives designated to lift those hands up and to give us the strength to lift our hands. I remember times in which I'm going through the mourning process uh, of my son's passing that there were people that during the service would run to me and would lift my hands up because during the time of worship, I just didn't have the motivation to lift my hands up. Because in my mind at that time, I thought that to lift my hands was, the, you know, was a sign of victory. And I said, I just lost my boy. How is that a sign of victory for me to lift my hands up? Father, I don't want to seem hypocritical here and lift my hands up to seem super spiritual. And people would come to lift up my hands. And it was then that I understood, no, I'm lifting up your hands when you can't lift up your own. Jesus offered Jerusalem and its inhabitants shelter and protection. But they were not willing. They would not dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Jesus himself is our shelter and our lodging. I close with this. Understand that the velocity of which our Heavenly Father runs to us with, it is with a greater passion and greater power than our own. Even if it seems that we are just dragging our feet in his direction, understand that he is moving at light speed and beyond light speed in your direction. Our Heavenly Father takes opportunity and he takes it very seriously, especially when his children are moving and running to him. Let us understand that running to God is not a weakness. It is a demonstration of your highest faith. It is a demonstration of believing in Psalm 91, that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is our Lord and he is our refuge. We will not be ashamed every time we run to him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I present, O oh Lord God, all of us here that are present, I present unto you, Father, every spiritual struggle, every thought, every question. And Father, I lift up the name of Jesus. Father, the name in which there is healing, there is restoration, there is refuge, there is safety. Father, there is protection. Father, there is peace, there is joy. Father, your word teaches us, O Lord God, that the fowler shall not, O Lord God, ensnare us. The arrow may fly by day and night or terror by night, 
But Father, it shall not overcome us. For Father, you are the refuge. You are the perfect refuge, O oh Lord God. You are the wall of protection of your children. Father, you are the place in which we find our safety, our shelter, and our peace. I present unto you, O oh Lord God, every life, every soul, every course of journey here. And Father, I ask for a refreshing outpouring of your holy presence. Father, of your grace, your love. Father, that when it hits us, it fulfills us, it fills us, it satisfies us, O oh Lord God. Father, greater than if we were to eat at a banquet table. Nothing, Father, is more fulfilling and filling than the presence and the blessing of our Father. Father, I bless every family here, every marriage. Father, I declare healing in Jesus' name, and I release the name of Jesus over everyone here that is present and over everyone that is watching us, Father, through the web. Father, I declare, Father, that the comfort, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is given unto us, Father, we thank you for it. And I declare that that comfort, Father, will lift us and give us new strength. Father, as your word teaches us, in Christ and with Christ, we can walk upon many waters. Therefore, Father, help us. As the world continues, Father, to try to create new methods and new devices, Father, for us to run to, Father, help us to remember this day. And that, Father, when we run to you, you already had begun your journey to run towards us. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for this privilege and this honor to speak this word to your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Won't you please rise and help us to sing our closing hymn, Revive Us Again. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory, hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the Spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again.
gathering. Our Father, most of all, we thank you for your holy presence, your holy presence, your holy presence that is with us. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you bless my brothers and sisters throughout this week. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and the might and power that comes, Father, through your word and your spirit, fill their hearts and their minds. This I ask and this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.